it's Memorial Day weekend, and there's a, a gloom that comes with that because we are celebrating the death of people who died for us, and we always want to remember that and not take that for granted. But we also want to remember that today is a special day in the history of the church. It is a day of celebration, and it's the day that Christ ascended into heaven. We call it Ascension Sunday. See, after the resurrection, he, he dwelt among men for 40 days, preaching and teaching and doing everything that he did in his physical life. But then the day came that he did what he told his disciples that he was going to do, ascended to heaven to be with the Father, to prepare for us a place that he said that he would come back and take us to. Today's passage of Scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then 8 through 11. Luke wrote, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was together with them, he commanded them to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going... They were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you today and thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to come into your house to worship. And Father, I just ask that you send your spirit in here to bring comfort and hope and empowerment to our lives as we live out the scriptures, as we put the promises of Christ together in our lives and walk with you hand in hand on this journey that you've put before us. And Father, I just ask that on this morning that you Take from me the desire to speak my own will, but fill me with your spirit that I may speak only words that will be pleasing to you and beneficial to each of us gathered here today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The story that we just read was, was Luke's account of the ascension. Now, many of us don't know a lot about Luke when we, if I was to ask the 
the average person, if you were even to ask me, you know, who is Luke, we would start saying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John going through the books of the Bible. And we say, oh, well, Luke must have been one of the original disciples, but he wasn't. Luke entered the picture sometime later. Many believe that he was a, a friend of Paul's after he was converted. He was a physician, and it was believed that he traveled with Paul because, well, some believe that Paul had a sickness or an illness that he had to deal with. But Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the accounts of Christ's life as he heard about them, possibly as he experienced them in the days of Jesus, but as the Spirit led him also. And Luke wrote this letter to a person named Theophilus, another person that we, we don't know a lot about, and we're not sure that it was actually a real person because the Greek translation for the name of Theophilus really translates to one in power. So he could have been writing this letter to not just an individual, but to a, to a person who would be head of a government. We're not really sure. But what we do know is this, is that Luke wrote this letter so that someone would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to know him as their Lord and Savior. That maybe these opening words in his book would intrigue them to want to know more about the living Christ. And when I read through this passage of Scripture, the, the thing that, that jumped out to me was not that Jesus had made the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the days to come, and it, and it wasn't just that, that he ascended into heaven on a cloud in glory. But it's what Jesus was doing in those 40 days after his resurrection that, that he remained here with us. And what he did, according to Luke, was this, is that he, he presented evidence that he was still alive. That Christ was presenting convincing themes and, and, and pictures of, of things that had happened in his life to, to let the people know that, you know, the person that you knew then hasn't gone away. I am still here. I am still present. I am still alive. And it's odd, I think, that the disciples of all people were the ones that had to be convinced of this. I mean, after all, they walked with him and they talked with him at least for three years of his life that we know about. They saw the miracles. They saw him as he healed the blind. They were there when he walked on the water and calmed the storm. Why was it so hard for them to believe that the holy man of God was still alive in their presence? Did they not see his physical form? What did something happen when he rose that may be changed the way he's viewed by people. As Methodists, we believe in different types of grace, some that we share with other denominations like sanctifying grace and justifying grace. But, but one of the graces that, that we as Methodists believe highly in is what we call glorifying grace. 
And what that grace does is this is that when we close our eyes on this side of heaven, and as we begin to to make that transition into the presence of the Father, that that God does something in our lives that, that completes the work that was once begun here in this life. In other words, he takes all of the brokenness and makes it whole. He takes all the sickness and makes it well. And we receive a new form. A form that is glorified because of God's grace. So it may very well be that that when Jesus rose from the dead, that that the disciples who, who knew him so well didn't recognize his physical appearance because Jesus left the old man behind, so to speak. Remember when he came into this world, he came in the form of man. He put on flesh. And he took pain and sorrow. And maybe it is that in that day that that Jesus walked after his resurrection, that, that he wasn't recognized because of all that brokenness and all that pain and all that sorrow that he carried was taken away from him, that that he walked again in the full deity of his Godhead. But isn't it great to know that when Jesus presented himself to the ones that that, that he loved and that he knew loved him, that he wasn't angered because of their lack of recognition. I think it exercises the character of God as he works with us daily, that he offers mercy and forgiveness even when we do things that bring him pain. And I think one of the things that amazed me so much about this passage of Scripture again was was that he had spent those 40 days giving an account, presenting evidence that he was still alive. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of evidence he actually presented because Luke doesn't tell us. Sometimes I like it when the writers do that because it gives me the opportunity to to think and it inspires me to dig further into the Scripture to, to find out, you know, what it is that the writer is actually saying to us. And it wasn't just Luke who didn't give us a lot of evidence up front of what Jesus meant by helping us to understand that he was still alive. So I have to stop and ask myself, what was he actually doing? What proof was he giving to the disciples to say that that I am still alive? You know, the disciples went to Thomas and and told Thomas, you know what, Christ has risen from the dead. Thomas, one of the beloved. And Thomas said to them that, that I will not believe such a ridiculous statement. I will not believe that that the man who who was hung on the cross, that died, who was put into a tomb, is walking around alive. He goes, I won't believe it. Even though I have seen the miracles time and time again, even though I have heard firsthand at least three times from Jesus himself saying that I will die and I will rise again, Thomas would not believe 
And he told the disciples, you want me to believe? Here's how it's going to happen. I want to put my hand in the scar where the nail went through. He said, I will put my hand into the side that was pierced by the spear, and then and only then will I believe. And I think that that speaks a lot about humanity sometimes, that that sometimes we get caught up in life and the circumstances and the things that we have going on that that we tend to forget about the real power of Christ and, and how he really came into this world, that he's not just an idea, a concept, or or someone that we just show up on Sunday to hear about, but he is someone that is alive and wants to stay with us and walk with us and talk with us, and that he wants to, to prove to us time and time again that he is still here and still present. Now, I'm not saying by any means that, that we can tell God how to prove himself to us. We cannot nor should not challenge God in a manner like that. But you know what? Sometimes God meets us where we're at. And his word said that that I will provide for you. In other words, he says that, that my grace is sufficient for this day. That what you have is enough, not just to live and survive in this world, but to know me as the Father. And to know the Son as your Savior. Now for Thomas, Jesus gave him exactly what he said. Some days later, Thomas and the disciples were were gathered inside of a house and all the doors were locked. Maybe they were scared that they were still being hunted. Maybe they were scared of persecution. But inside that home that was securely locked, Jesus entered and presented the evidence to Thomas as he held out his hands and said, Here, touch the hands that the nails have pierced. Touch them. They're real. your hand into the side of the Son of Man where the spear pierced it. I don't know if I could put myself in Thomas's position or understand fully what, what he was experiencing that moment. Myself, I think I would be in awe and shock. And I would probably be a little bit apprehensive about doing what it is that the Son asked me to do. But I think that hope that dwells up inside me, hope that that wants to believe that that the Son of God has risen from the grave, hope that that really wants to believe that, that what I want to be true is really true, that that hope would push me to do what Thomas did and touch the nail-scarred hand. And you know what Thomas did after that? It's a humbling thing, I think. And I think it's an amazing thing that this speaks to us about our expectations of hope in life. 
You see, I think Thomas wanted Jesus to be real. I think he, he wanted it more than anything. And then when the evidence was presented, and hope pushed him to touch and take that evidence to himself. That he didn't just celebrate. But that he came to understand that because Christ had risen from the grave, that there was sufficient hope to face tomorrow. I think that he came to understand that there is a God in heaven who loves and cares for each of his children and will go to great extents to call them home regardless of where they're at. Thomas didn't jump and shout and scream. He didn't throw a party. But with passion and fulfilled hope, he recognized Christ amidst the Godhead. He touched the nail-scarred hand. said, my God, my Lord. He claimed him for himself in that moment of time. Life never brings us anything more than salvation. It has already brought us more than we deserve. But we need to remember that Christ came into this world, that we live and have life abundantly. That the, the, the miracles that, that Jesus worked in the days before the crucifixion. He still works for us today. You know, we talk about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And sometimes I think that that's the biggest miracle that we pick up on. We ran across a passage of Scripture this week that I had forgotten about, and I, I use it sometimes to challenge people. So let me ask you, trivia time. Was Peter married? Most people don't know the answer to that because it's this it's just one little passage of Scripture that's, that's, that's not really hidden, that's kind of overlooked. And it's true, Peter was married, or at least the scriptures imply that. 
The book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 through 31, says that by, it says, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew, Simon being Peter, with James and John. But Simon's mother's, or Simon's wife's mother, meaning Simon's mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them from that day forward. You see, Jesus is concerned about the life that we have here today. And when we enter into that relationship with him, that when we walk with God and talk with God and put forth our best effort to understand who God is and, and what it is that he wants for our life, that he works miracles, that, that we don't have to look into tomorrow and fear, but we can look into tomorrow with hope and passion. And how do we know that? We know it because of the same way that Jesus did disciples, he does with us today. He reminds them of the proof. He puts the evidence out there for us to see. The woman who was sick, who was burning up with fever, that the people cared for, that they weren't sure if they were going to recover, Jesus came into that life touched her, raised her up, and the fever left. He brought health and well-being to that body that was sick. Now, does that mean that, that he's going to heal every person of their infirmity? I don't know. Probably not. You see, I choose to, to take a different perspective when I read about the healings that, that people received. I, think, I like to, to think that the physical healings that people received is a physical manifestation on the outside of what God wants to do to us on the inside. When he shows us that he can take a fever and cast it out, then he can take our doubt if we trust in him and cast it out. That if he can raise the dead from the dead to life, give them full animation and spirit, with a body, then he can do that with our own individual lives. That when there's doubt and fear, that God can come in in power and authority and breathe new life and new hope. That's what he does. That's why we love him so much. Because of the way he loves us. You see, I cannot and I will not tell you that God will change your circumstance. That is not the power that I have. But the, the power that I do have is to say this. That no matter what you encounter in life, it's about perspective. You can be beat up by it, or you can rise above it. You can let it knock you down, or you can let it be a source of something to, to make you stronger. You can let it drive you away from God, or you can let it draw you closer to God. You see, what good is a healthy physical body if the spirit is broken? 
But if the spirit is intact and the spirit is whole and, and the spirit receives healing, then the body can go on and do whatever the body needs to do. And that's what Christ promises us when he says that I come that you have life and have it more abundantly. 100% of the population will suffer. There's no way about that. And it's not that we suffer, but it's how we choose to suffer. And you know, a funny thing about suffering is this, is that, that after you suffer a little while, that thing that hurt, that thing that caused pain, that thing that causes comfort, doesn't become so powerful. You become callous to it, or you become more empowered in your life that, that you're stronger than what it was. And that thing that caused you that problem now is nothing to you. And you know what? It prepared you for that next thing. But see, we can celebrate our lives during those times that are uncomfortable. We can celebrate because God said, I've got the whole world in his hands. We see that as children, do we not? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. So if he's got the whole wide world in his hands, then you can count on the fact that he has your individual life in his hand. You see, Ascension Sunday is a time to celebrate because Christ is doing what he said he was doing. The evidence is there if we choose to see it. In your own life, where has Christ presented his nail-scarred hand for you to touch? In your own life, where has he reached in to find something dying and brought forth new life? Remember those things. And they will get you through this life as we walk with God. The evidence is all around that Christ Jesus lives today as he did yesterday. You know, we can do two things in our life as Christians that we learn from this passage of Scripture here. We can do like the disciples and stand in awe and stare at the heavens as they watched Jesus ascend. And we can stare and we can stare and we can stare and waste all the time waiting for him to come back. Or we can utilize that time. See, here's what I mean. Jesus made promises to us as a people. He came into this world and he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He gave life to those that, that were missing life. We know that he made those statements. And we know that he fulfilled them. We know that, that he said that, that I'm going away to a place to prepare for you. And if I go to that place, I'm going to come back and take you to that place. And that place will be a wonderful place. 
But until that day comes, let's don't look to the heavens and wait, but let's live life to the fullest, experiencing God in everything that we do with the attitude of power and authority that God has given us that we choose to take upon ourselves to live in happiness, to live in joy, and to be humbled by God's grace and mercy. So on this Ascension Day, I guess I'm saying this. Remember the things that God has done in your life. And take your hand and place it into the hand of the one who bears those scars. Live each day with hope and expectation of God showing up in your life and with hope and expectation of his glorious return. Let us pray. Father God, I come before you and thank you again for this time that you have given me. And Father, I just ask that you be with each and every one of us as we prepare to to leave here today. Help us to go out into our communities, into our homes, knowing, Father God, that you are already present in our lives, knowing that that the things that you've done in the past in the lives of others that, that you can do in our lives today and help us to receive humbly the plan that you have for us each day. And Father, as we live out our days experiencing you in, in every corner of our life, Keep the fire and excitement in our hearts, knowing that one day that you're going to turn to your son and say, go get my children. Father, just let us live lives that are pleasing and obedient to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.